Good evening, and welcome back to Humanities 101. I am Lisa Prince. And I'm Kendra Cowley, and we are the coordinators of Humanities 101, or HUM. Along with our amazing volunteers and intern Morningstar Willier, we've been putting together weekly HUM classes here on CJSR. HUM is a free university course that usually meets in person at the U of A and off campus. But due to COVID-19, we are now meeting here on the radio. You can always reach out for more information at 587-709-5472 or hum101 at ualberta.ca. You could also check out our website at hum101onair.ca, where you will find past episodes and materials that are mentioned in interviews and readings to accompany each class. We hope that everyone who tuned in over the holidays enjoyed Tanya, Kayla, and Sheila of the Book Woman podcast as they interviewed fellow podcasters Molly Swain and Chelsea Vowell about their show Métis in Space. Métis in Space is a podcast where, quote, Molly and Chelsea drink a bottle of red wine and, from a tipsy, decolonial perspective, review a sci-fi movie or television episode featuring Indigenous people, tropes, and themes, end quote. You can find both the Métis in Space and the Book Woman podcast on our website at hum101onair.ca. On New Year's Day, we listened to another podcast episode. This one from the Keep Moving podcast, a show about leisure and gentrification in downtown Edmonton. Rylan and Alex share interviews with folks living and moving through downtown Edmonton, with a focus on those who have been displaced and are criminalized as a result of the development of the quarters and arena district. HUM has always been rooted in relationships with others thinking and creating in the city. We are so grateful for the different projects, like the podcast we listen to over the holidays, that uplift voices in the city and celebrate the power of story to bring people together. Speaking of which, this week is another takeover class by the incredible Writing Revolution in Place Collective, a quote, community-based research collective that uses poetic and creative research strategies to study topics that shape our different lives in the city. Each RIP term takes up a different topic. They've studied Treaty 6, gentrification, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and they are currently studying how gender intersects with other structures of power to shape our most intimate and institutional encounters, end quote. RIP is run out of the Learning Center Literacy Association. If anyone is interested in learning more about RIP, you can find the Learning Center's information on our website. There's a lot of crossover between HUM and RIP, and we know that some of you will be familiar with the voices you are about to hear. First, we speak to Christine Stewart, who is an instructor from the U of A and one of the founders of RIP. She is known both on and off campus for thinking, researching, and playing through an active poetic practice. She uses this as a way to imagine and develop other possibilities. Then we will share a virtual reading done by RIP special for us. At the end of the episode, we will share an activity familiar to many involved with RIP, the blackout poem. So with no further ado, welcome Christine. My name is Christine Stewart. And what do you want to know? Um, well, we've invited you on to the show because you are an instructor at the University of Alberta. And also you have worked a lot in different ways of telling stories. So I guess we're going to learn some about you as we ask these questions. Um, so 
Uh, I'm wondering if you could begin then by telling us what are poetics. Um, you are known kind of around campus and in Edmonton and Miskatchewan as someone who works in poetics, and this is a new term for many of us. So if you could start there, that'd be great. Um, so I, I guess the idea of of poetics, and that's it's something that I am really interested in. Um, it's a it's about the ways in which language is a site of meaning. It's, the, it's concerned with the ways in which language is world making or makes worlds. And I think the, the, to focus on that making and the ways in which words work to make life possible, but also impossible, is a real uh, is a really important study for me. So the ways in which English works uh, to colonize, uh, the ways in which English is uh, white supremacist, for example, um, really negative examples of meaning making and world making. But attention to those practices and the ways in which language is used um, can also bring language to the fore and allow us to work with it in different ways that can, um, even if only momentarily, free us up from those systems, say, of oppression, of white supremacy, of capitalism. And, and then and this is what I think why poetry has always been really important to me is that poetry is a site of play. And poetry is a place where you, you look at language and you think about what it does and how it works in the world. And so, so poetry brings language to the fore and it's, it, it allows us to think about the ways in which we use language and the ways in which language works on us. I think it's, it's, it could be difficult to understand the difference between poetics and poetry and what that relationship is. The, so a poetic focus would be on how the language works or how a poem is working. And so the difference between poetry is when poetry, you're making a poem. In poetics, you're thinking about how language works and what the practices are that are world making in that particular language or in that poem. Um, so let's say you can have, there's a lot of experimental poetry and that's something I've always been interested in, a kind of history of experimental poetry in a Western tradition. And one of the things that, uh, one of the movements that we, we spend some time thinking about in, in uh, writing Revolution and Place and RIP is uh, experimental tradition that come out of language, the language writers, sort of the language poets. And the language poets were interested in looking at the ways in which um, systems of power use language. And so their poetic practice was to kind of dissect language practices in advertising, in government, um, in, um, in social media, the ways in which language gets used in the world around us to make us think in certain ways. And the language writers were interested in kind of dissecting that and pulling, pulling it apart and seeing what happened when you dismantled those systems of power. Mm -hmm. And Say, for example, um, there's a sign when you go down 
from Vancouver to Seattle and it's uh, near an air force base. And it's something, it's some says something to the effect of we're sorry for the noise because there's all these jet fighters landing. So the sign says we're sorry for the noise, but this is the sound of freedom. So uh, the language poets would say, take that sign and look at what is actually being said there, which is this loaded uh, message about the necessity of material, materialization <laughs> um, and and what it means to have what it means to have a society that equates the military with freedom war with freedom violence with freedom um, inst institutionalized uh, um, weapon weaponry um, the weaponization of, of a culture and so you could you would take that and you would look at the way it's working and then you would undo it to see what else you might come up with what does what does freedom actually mean um, does it always is it always equated with um, some kind of system of oppression and is freedom something that maybe has been emptied and used too much uh, maybe it's a word that we need to think about really, really carefully when it's used. Maybe it's a word that we need to be suspicious of when uh, um, prime ministers or presidents use it. Uh, military leaders, for example, we're going into this country and we're going to free it up. We're going we're to bring freedom to this country and we're bringing in all our weapons and our tanks and, and our military and we're going to make things better. And so one of the things that we always work with in RIP is what does it mean to be a reader who's attuned to the ways in which um, words are used and abused by those in power? And what would it mean to, to listen and to read in ways where um, you could question those, those messages? Um, does that make sense? It does. Now, I had three questions in a row and you've, you've touched on all of them. So I'm wondering if I could flesh a few out. I'm wondering if you could share with us the story of RIP and how it began. So you touched on both um, already, but if you could just tell us a little bit more yeah. about RIP. So RIP is an acronym for Writing Revolution in Place. And that began in 2011. Uh, so it's like coming up 10 years. It'll be 10 years, I guess, next fall that we started. Um, and... I met Denis Lapierre in the spring of 2011 when he was working in the basement of Boyle Co-op and he was uh, running the learning center or I think his position has changed. He's, I think he's a director now, but the liter literacy and learning center. Yeah. We used to be, that's where Hum was too. So we were yeah. in that same basement space. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. 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 We, everybody was there. Um, it was pretty great, actually. I, uh, I kind of loved it down there. Um, but that's where we began, and it was the same same kind of thing. In that, um, you know, it began with a it began with a conversation, and I I am have always had this interest in poetics and poetry that that really focuses on its world making potential and its potential for resistance and its potential for social justice. And, and I, 
I'm not so naive as to think that you're going to write a poem and change the world, but I do think that it's a really important way of understanding the world, attending to the world, resisting what needs to be resisted, um, and loving what needs to be loved. So I was really just coming from that and then meeting Denis, who was running all sorts of uh, different language programs and thinking about literacy. And we had this conversation and I thought, well, what if folks, and so, so many of the folks who were working down there and who still are, live in positions of great precarity, um, financial and otherwise. And my question to him was, what if, what if we took up these poetic practices of, of critiquing, um, critiquing systems of power and then rewriting those systems? Like what, what would it mean if we had um, a class that was focused on experimental practices of, of, of poetics and that were really concerned with rewriting the world in active ways? And um, we got a, so we wrote a grant, we got a kiln. So we've, we had the money for food and we had the money for computer and books and whatever. And we started meeting in the basement of Boyle in that fall. And we've met uh, during the school term every week for the last nine years. Mm-hmm. And we've continued that practice. Um, it started off being fit really very much facilitated by me. Um, and, and we always had really active graduate students um, who were part of RIP. And as, as we grew and kept going and moved spaces and we worked in so many different areas uh, across the city, it became much more, has become much more a collective where everybody decides what we're going to focus on, what needs our attention, what needs our critique, what needs our love. Um, and we, we have, we, we engage in writing projects and we usually have a final presentation at the end of the term, but what we've been doing. And um, there are some people who've been with us from the very beginning and there's some, you know, new people are always welcome and coming through. Uh, right now, I think we've about, maybe about 13 or 14 people. Um, and sometimes we've, I've, I've brought in university classes to work with RIP. And so, yeah, it's a membership that's open to anybody who wants to kind of write and think together. And this year we're looking at gender and we've got, um, we have some funding from RIG um, to do a, a gender study. And uh, what's most, most exciting for me is that we actually got some funding to pay the researchers because the, the RIP folks, if you're a non-university um, member of RIP, then you'll get paid to do the research. So that's been, that's been really good. Mm, that's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to touch on something you said right at the very beginning and something that has been said a few times. Um, how can language be white supremacist? How can white supremacy come through language or language be a colonizer? Um, those are words that to hold an incredible amount of weight and people prickle at them. Um, wondering if you can explain what can be meant by that. Well, I guess one of the one of the examples that um, that's been coming up recently is the ways in which uh, the English language holds 
notions of negativity um, align and they align them with darkness. And so that's, that's been critiqued uh, for a long time, but I think very much recently with uh, Black Lives Matter and the different, the different um, kind of resistant movements that have been going on. But if you have a language that aligns negativity with darkness, then what does that do for darkness? <laughs> and if, if black is bad, white is good, white is pure, um, black is, is bad, um, then and this, this is a very simple way of thinking about the ways that language is world-making. Um, so whiteness becomes something that people strive for, cleanliness, purity, goodness, Darkness is something that you you fear, um, that you want to run from, that um, you need to clean up. And I have people around me who who say it's just a word, like like get a grip. It's just a word. What do you? Why are you making such a fuss about it? But this is why poetry is so important, and why by and why studying poetics to me is so important is because there's no just a word. Language is so potent and so powerful and it forms the way we think about things and it can wound as we all know, uh, it can uplift as we all know. And, and I think one of the things that is being asked of us now is to not use language like that. Don't use language that debases darkness. And you know, there's, there's a, there are a lot of teachings um, all around the world, uh, where darkness is, is so, it's so important. It's, it's so, it is, it is, it can be a place of absolute beauty. And that's something that, I mean, the, the, the civil rights movement has been working with forever. When I was a kid, the, 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 the phrase black is beautiful, like, and that's resisting that idea of whiteness as good or desirable. Um, but I think there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of teachings from all over about the necessity of darkness, the necessity of quiet, the necessity of um, of the, the beauty the beauty of 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 black, and I think we're yeah so we're being asked um, not to speak not to speak lightly uh, not to speak. not to speak easily in ways that we've been brought up. And it's, it's complicated because then people say, well, you're being politically correct or, you know, I'm afraid to open my mouth. And it's not that, I think it's not that we need to be afraid and political correctness, um, like we could, we could just forget that term if people find it, problematic to me what we're being asked is just to be careful and to honor each other and be respectful of each other so if someone says to me the way you speak offends me and that's the way i've been brought up to speak through poetry and thinking about poetics and the way language works i can step back from that and i don't need to take it personally i can think yeah language has power and, and I can be in it and I can be with other humans and I can think about the ways that my words work and I don't need to take it personally and I can just be attentive. And I think that's what's being asked of us. I think political correctness is, is just about 
attending to each other and listening to each other. Um, what do you need? And what do you need about what do you need? How do you need my words to be so that we can all be in the room together and be thinking and be world making together in the ways that we need to. One of the first laws in uh, that, that I, through the teachings that I've had from working with Ruben, the first spirit marker is awe and it points in the East and, and, and he teaches, Ruben teaches that that first spirit marker holds the law of Sagitoin, which is uh, to love each other. And the thing that I, the thing that I love, well, there's so much about that. That's wonderful. But I also come from a, a poetry tradition where poetry that attends to the world that has the poetic practice of attending to the world and the words of the world and the objects of the world, the material of the world is um, love, that that attention is a form of love. So it's a poetry, a poetry practice based in love and attending to one another and to the land and that there seems to me to be this beautiful connection. I wouldn't say it's the same as, but it's, there's, there's these really nice um, connective tissues there that, that link those ways of thinking. And I, yeah, so that's sort of something that I think about a lot, attend, attending, and that when people get upset with each other, because we're asking too much of each other, um, kind of like what you're just saying about, about your kids, we're, we just, we just need to be tended to. And that's not a jest. It's huge, but it's okay too. It's, it's not, it, it, I think we don't need to take it personally and feel like we're being slighted. I think we're, we're just being asked to be maybe more round or something. All right. I have so many more questions, but I'm going to end this interview now formally. Okay. I'm going to say nice thank you. Yeah, so nice to talk to you. I want to say thank you so much um, for sharing some of what you've been doing and some of you know the many things you've explored and challenging us and encouraging us to think alongside you and around you and through you. And I appreciate I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Christine, for introducing us to the practice of poetics and reminding us about the power of language to both uplift and oppress. The first poem you will hear from Rip is a Ranga. The Ranga is a method adapted from a traditional Japanese style by the same name. Rangas were a traditional form in which multiple poets passed the same poem back and forth to write a collective poem. So here's Rip's take on a Ranga. This war must be fought and won by yourself, against yourself and within yourself. In order to break free of any system or oppressive process imposed upon you, imposed upon you are the laws, the law, the rules, the convention of society. What, what do you do when you are unable to follow these rules? Because the rules themselves prevent you. The rules themselves prevent you from unruly. From unruling must when rule ourselves or others. What of the flaw that goes through you? What of the unleashed energies that are neither within nor without? The wild seeds, the bewilder, beguiled, bewitched. 
The wild seeds that bewilder, beguile, bewitch. Good thoughts and actions bring good results. Bad thoughts and actions produce bad results. Nothing comes from corn but corn, and not comes from thistles but thistles. And comes from thistles but thistles, when carried by dog, travel out of sight and out of mind. Out of sight, out of mind, that's what the government wants. That what the government wants should be what I want, what we want. But it no, it's not, and because it's not, then out of the sight, out of the mind, I say. There isn't enough time in the day for that. What the government wants should be what I want, but it's not. And that's because what go wants, what we want is what corporation want, not what they want. Not what they want, but we, all as one can give. The government let, never lets us have the things we need. Everything costs too much. They should put the prices lower on everything. Lower on everything would be great and wonderful. Be great and wonderful. Yes, you are great and wonderful. You are great and you are wonderful. Thank you. Warfare of the body, the fair body at war, pushing against constraints, constriction, predictions, what salt of you are you made of salt, stone a man on a horse, what if she said you were just okay the way you happen to be at that time just now? The way you happen to be as the time just now is how you were, was and never be again, never be again that a full healthy person sicknesses has moved in. You need to, to help to fight the sickness, help to fight the sickness, help with hands, with minds, with time, help into bed and out again and guide along to discovery and guide along to discover health and health is a virtue health is a mind it's good and reach out to all with a helping hand a helping hand beware a helping hand Cor corporate volunteers three thousand update hours 30,000 unpaid hours, people overworked and underpaid. For poor people overworked and underpaid, for poor people makes political warfare most impossible. Overworked and underpaid, poor people left poor systematically by the very nature of our workplace. The nature of our workplace usually means that I respond to others above and a little to those below me. But then, who is really below you? Below you, nobody should be but my feet. Thank you, Rip, for sharing your collective Ranga poetry with us. Next, we're going to hear from individual members of the Rip Collective as they share their writing, thinking, and favorite pieces of literature with us. My name is Sandra Sanchez. I am from Colombia, and I'm here at the Living Center 
as a student for, for improve my English. I'm reading a piece of, a paragraph of the Bell Hooks book, Feminist is for Everybody. Mostly, mostly think feminist is a bunch of angry women who want to be like men. They do not even think about feminists as being about rights, about women gaining equal rights. If they dare to come closer to feminists, they would see it is not how they have imagined it. Feminist is a movement to end, to end sexism, sexist exploitation and oppression. I love this definition because it so clearly states that the movement is not about being anti-male. It makes it clear that the problem is sexism. And that clear, clarify, clarity helps us remember that all of us, female and male, have been socialized from birth onto a sexist the thought and action. As a consequence, females can be just as sexist as men. And while that's and while that doesn't excuse or justify male domination, it does mean that it would be naive and wrong-minded for feminist thinkers to see the movement as simplistically being for women against men. To end patriarchy, another way to naming the institutionalized sexism, we need to be clear that we are all participants in perpetuating sexism until we change our minds and hearts, until we let go of sexism thoughts and action and replace it with feminist thoughts and action. Imagine living in a world where there is no domination. Imagine living in a world where we can all be who we are a world of peace and possibility. Feminist revolution alone will not create such, as, such a world. We need to end racism, class elites, imperialism, but it will make it possible for us to be fully self-actualized, females and males able to create beloved community to live together, realizing our dreams of freedom and justice, living the truth that we are all created equal. Come closer. See how feminists can touch and change your life and all our lives. Come closer and know firsthand what feminist movement is all about. Come closer and you will see Feminist is for everybody. My name is Les Daniela. I'm a community member and one of the founding members of the Writing Revolution in Place. It's uh, a collaboration between the University of Alberta English and Film Studies and the Literacy Association and Learning Center. I got that backwards. The Learning Center and Literary Association. I'm going to read one piece which we put together 
during the term when we were doing collective research on Treaty 6 text. And I went a bit deeper on the topic and decided to study all texts. So this is a presentation that I read for the Edmonton Poetry Festival 2017. Our understanding of language and how it applies to written text. In our human history, there have been many documents written, written in many languages by many hands comprised of many different symbols, characters, alphabets, and even pictographs. These texts, or at least any that remain to have been preserved and archived by a myriad of different medias. Some like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not cover the neighbor's wife, etc., etc., were carved in stone. Other texts, past, present, and future. Some like the New Colossus, by Emmer Lazarus, the sonnet that is cast in bronze at the foot of the Statue of Liberty. Bring us your tired, your poor, your huggled masses yearning. Or take the weekend honey-do list, scrawled on the back of an envelope. Now, if there was ever a treaty that should be strictly honored and adhered to, you would think that it would be the honey-do list. Well, guess what? It's Monday morning, and the gutters still need cleaning. We never stopped coveting or killing. As far as the tired, poor, yearning, huddled masses, apparently they are not nearly as welcome as they once were, say, a hundred years ago or so. The catchphrase, the battle cry, the statement of justification that has always caught my attention and usually raises my ire is the old, worn-out, overused, and overvalued phrase, quote, it is written. This is usually conjured along with lots of sound effects, thunder and lightning, overdramatic gesturing, and a lot of bony finger-pointing. Our relation and understanding of what is written is and always will be strictly a subjective personal and individual one. Each pair of eyes and intellect that considers any written text, they will come up with their own unique individual personal perspectives, contents, frames of reference, comprehension, understanding, and then an ultimate meaning. This is referring to text or documents or just general literature of your present day mother tongue, home community, run of the mill reading fodder. Now consider texts that are outside of our kind of our daily interest stuff, our literary comfort zone, if you will. To those texts and documents that are intended to rule, guide, administer, regulate, and govern us. These things that get quoted when you hear it is written, like the Bible, the Quran, constitutions, criminal codes, or legislations, and in this case, the Treaty 6 documents. Now, sprinkled generously with legalese, add endless bureaucratic gobbledygook, or seasons to taste with righteous religious rhetoric, 
and those shall not, whereas, as for is said, here and after, amen. The general conception of we have of what is written is that it is lasting, static or concrete, that one once documented, that it is set in stone for all time, that somehow these words, their number, their order, their meaning, their intent, sentiment and purpose is somehow fixed for eternity. To most of this, this is a book. It is a static thing. It is the same as when it was printed and it will be the very same tomorrow. It has a certain number of words in a certain order on a certain number of pages. And everyone who reads it knows exactly what it's about. To me, this book is a cup, a vessel, whereas the contents within are fluid, malleable, and ever-changing. I could give exact copies of the same book to everybody in this room, and you will all read it differently. Now take these exalted documents, the ones so reverently cited when hearing it is written, run the passage of a couple hundred years, a couple hundred or thousands of years of time over them, travel them around the world through several different cultures, civilizations, religious or political ideologies, Listen through numerous interpretations, translations, transcriptions, edits, printings, and so on. And there you have it, plain as day, cut and dried, right there in black and white. Its meaning and our understanding of it today is universally clear, just as it was the day it was written. I mean, we have enough trouble understanding our own interpersonal communications in our own living rooms, let alone our trouble with the printed text of all these exalted documents. The first time I heard this very wise lesson regarding human misconception and misunderstanding is the following axiom. He said, she heard, and this is very gender bias and basis on our term this year. This is how I first heard it and it is easily extrapolated to she said, he heard, or the collective pronouns, we and they, and you can change the action, the verb to they wrote, we read, or they wrote, they read. The truism was that just very recently and personally confirmed during a casual conference I had a couple weeks ago in my home and is the inspiration for this piece. A young out-of-town guest inquired on what the writing and re revolution in place collective was currently up to. And I casually, matter-of-factly answered that we are mandated to study Treaty 6. And the response was as follows. Wait, what? You guys are studying 3D sex? I said, they heard. Over the time expanded this concept when considering multilingual, multicultural, 
international communications encapsulated in two well-known cliches. What was lost in the translation is often open to interpretation, and what is open to interpretation is often lost in translation. This ever-variable inter interpretation of the meaning of what is written is the very reason we have these two large beige buildings across the street from City Hall today, the law courts. And they were filled with a whole lot of different people arguing and deciding different meetings, implications, responsibilities of the exact same words as it is written and their separate application to each and every case individually as each defendant, plaintiff, defense, or crown counsel, judge, and juror will read the same words in the same order differently. I also believe that just because it is written, this does not mean that it is so. Ever was or ever will be. Unfortunately, in today's world and in today's societies more than ever, it seems that rules, contracts, commandments, promises, and other articles that bind us are made only to be broken. This is, I'm a part of, a, I'm part of the Learning Center and RIP. My name is James McDonald, if you really want to know my name. I have a poem about discharge. It's a very well-used poem. I use it all the time to bail me out of poems. Uh, here we go. Nowhere to go. Just got let go out of the hospital. Broke, you know it. Not even a quarter to make a phone call. It was dark, 11 at night, standing on the curb. Me feeling kind of lonely when I had nobody to talk to. My thoughts go out to God, I guess. He does answer people. Because in the night, a lady came driving up and she had a flap. Plain as day, she had a no phone or pay phone nearby, so she stopped in front of me. She was stressed about her tire. Without batting an eye, she asked me to change the tire. Kind-hearted kind -hearted guy I am, willing, went ahead and started to get the spare out. When we were changing her tire, we talked about life. When I got done with her tire, she was pleased with me. She was ha so happy. I still remember her South American accent. She gave me $5 and said, buy coffee. Then she was gone. They, that brings me back to God. He's a strange, he is strange. When you want him, he's not there. But when you ask for simple things and a little work, he gives you $5. We had been looking at like that, like flower of power. And I keep referring to it like that, but I might not have the proper citations and Rob can add those in. But this like flower of power where we were talking about our proximity to 
or not our proximity necessarily, but each petal was named out into some category um, and our relation to power that was like, that affected our relation to power. So like transit, race, um, housing, uh, transit, like mobility, uh, neighborhood, stuff like that. So then once we had all those words, there were 14 words, and then we each wrote a line representing that word for us. And 14 lines essentially is a sonnet. There's more to a sonnet, but I only got 10 lines. So I'm going to read those 10 lines from that day of our thinking about power and the intersections of gender. And for the record, uh, my name is Kayla Donovan and I'm in my third year of the PhD program at U of A. And I started collaborating with RIP um, in, I think it was 2016 um, when I joined the master's program and Christine Stewart had us collaborating off campus at the, um, at the Highlands library. So yeah, I've been here for a little while now and it's wonderful. Okay. I untitled X, 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 Y, 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 incorrect, wrong answers and questions, pre-sliced potatoes and water and cans of mandarins, a luxury, noodles and butter, fried bologna, ketchup a must. Cisgendered, heterosexual, I have always liked men, I think, even though they have not always liked me. Low income, subsidized rent, eviction notices, bankruptcy, four months rent up front, security deposit, security for who? Wealth of knowledge, commonwealth, whiteness, me the whitest, so white, I have always felt secure. Too old to be a road scholar, too young to retire, too old to not pay rent, too young to buy a house. Oh wait, too poor, too old to be poor? What happens when the houseless turns 65, 18 then? People who care about my life and well-being, that's community, mutual aid, shared, listening to James's TV through Zoom while we write sonnets inspired by intersectionality. Baptism without choice, first communion with lace gloves and ringlets, first confession, tell the strange man we all call father the bad things you've done that you're scared to tell mommy and daddy. Movement feels a lot like freedom sometimes. Movement is dizzying too, a lot, too much. Uh, my name is Sean Haste. I've been with the RIP on and off for about five years. Uh, this is untitled. Laying in the dark on a greasy night, hands wandering, the sudden jolt at the feel of tight skin. It's a protrusion, and it must be explored. Fingers move tentatively around the outside. We shouldn't play with it, but we must. A small bit of pressure moves fluid inside towards the surface. We know how this must end. An increase in pressure brings, brings things closer to the pop. The skin is thinner. It's getting closer. Breathe. 
Reposition. Almost there. One last push. Breathe. An explosion. Relax. Breathe. Now I have to get up and grab a Kleenex for my nose. Acne sucks. Okay, my name is Zenny. I'm in Reap for 10 years, October um, 2010. Uh, so when I studied, it's the same time as the um, humanities. It's, uh, we are in a basement at the uh, Learning Center in uh, Boyle, uh, Boyle Street, 105 Street. And um, it's a little bit uh, raucous down there, but uh, we uh, did a good job for starting uh, beginning uh, the two uh, classes. And it was really like, um, it was fun when Christine uh, started us. We used to have a breakfast from, Can what is that, Cantera? Every morning they deliver us. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if one of you there. So I really miss that beginning. Well, you know, beginning is sometimes not a good end, but it's always good start. Uh, that's the same thing what I have on mind that I wanted to um, to give today. Like it's about uh, nine months. Uh, nine months is about our our parents like uh, to carry us in our um, in their wombs for um, nine months. That uh, we don't know what's gonna be like um, in in that. Uh, nine months. So we pop out after nine months. We see the words. We start to scream. Um, so when uh, we see all the words, we don't know what to expect growing up, uh, um, what's going to be like. And it's basically like um, uh, compare it now. We just like I said, uh, now it's it's things um, very tough uh, living, and um, that's what one of those that uh, we're suffering right now. It's uh, that's part of it. Like I said, that uh, uh, we don't not gonna know until we came out in this world. Like I said, um, uh, being like uh, uh, too much um, like challenging like life, and um, it's just uh, a little tough. So, like for me, like I said, that um, I'm not sure myself when I was born, I'm, I didn't know where I'm going to be. Now I'm in Canada. So like I said, it's unexpected that uh, me, I'm like from that far, um, like uh, 23 hours flight from where I come from. So I did not expect that. Like I said, from that nine months, we don't know if we're going to make it or not. Right, Like right now too, we cannot really know what's our future with this um, coronavirus. So it's, I'm seeing the situation what I have when I'm still inside my parents, my mom. And now I'm in this world that's uh, trying to, uh, to survive, I'll say, and um, to um, communicate, which is uh, gathering its your own family. It's very tough. So it's one of the challenging, like I'm saying, like we don't know what's going to be like when you are, you know, when you when you are still inside and we're uh, when you are outside, so like um, for me it's uh, learning. Also, like it's part of this uh, class that I am involved right now. It's um, things like I am not giving up either. Like you mentioned about the age and races about there, and I'm one of those things that I 
like to continue and uh, a lot of time like um uh, it doesn't matter how old you are but there is a problem when it comes to finding a job when they see you and asking you how old you are and they will put you on the side and uh, we'll call you if you know if we need uh you to come um to work when you've done your interview so that's what that's one of the challenging like i said for being getting older and um it's still like uh like we learn about feminism we learn about uh these races we learn all these things and then uh, for my own um you know uh, observation that uh i'm one of those that uh, sometimes uh because uh i am not born with internet of course it's a little bit struggling for me for that and a lot of time people are just throwing your face oh you know even two years old, no, of course, two years old, born, they're not even born yet, they're still in their stomach, their parents already, you know, they're using the, in their hands, the uh, computer, so of course, like I said, it's, seems that, like I said, it's different, so that's the one, like I said, that's my uh, big things that I would like to, uh, people hear my, um, uh, contribution to this class today is about like you never give up no matter what i know there's a lot of challenges you now and uh as long as you live i will say i think we all hope have a hope and when we're dead then there's no more hope i just thought like i would like to give that to uh, all listening if you're gonna put this on the air or something i will encourage you to not give up and that's my message thank you my name is rob jackson Utopia spits here and coughs, slips, laughs, sings, picks fights, picks bottles, picks butts, falls in love, remembers quietly. Utopia was abandoned here. Children play frisbee here and tell stories about moose and beavers and wolves on Mars. Kinship is flexible here. Here, oatmeal is served every morning. Here is an economy of cigarettes. Here is a new batch of benzoyl-fentanyl hybrid. The virus has closed the borders and supply chains from the south have been cut. Constraint always demands innovation, no matter how potent. Here is the virus with many names. Here is an incomplete list. Dispossession, cops, bear spray, poverty, the 60s scoop, social work, residential schools, loss, loneliness, heartache, diaspora, prison. Here is a list of demands that will never be met. We want the earth, not the world. Here is a song and a ceremony. Here is a treaty. Here is a broken thing. Here is wildcat governance. Here is protocol. Here is a bat. Here is a medicine chest. The singular is shipwrecked here. Here is a refusal of the quarantine of the self. Here is an aesthetics of turbulence. There is no predetermined ethic here. Here is a moving contradiction. Here is the failure of statistics. Here is a cartography of the immeasurable. Here is light from the wood stove on the side of your face 
as, it, as you tend to your comrades' blistered feet. Thank you, Rip, for sharing your words with us. For more information about Rip, please check out our website. As Christine spoke to earlier, Rip focuses on experimental poetry, something often facilitated through activities such as the Ranga and the Blackout Poem. RIP collaborator Rob Jackson is here to explain the Blackout Poem, our next activity, and speak to the importance of rewriting narratives written about us without us. Hi, my name is Rob Jackson. I'm a PhD student uh, in the English and Film Studies Department at the University of Alberta and a member of the Writing and Revolution in Place Collective. Uh, in my research, I look at the relationship between experimental poetry and movements uh, that champion abolition, decolonization, and anti-capitalism. When I think about poetry, I think about uh, experimental poetry as poetry that doesn't follow conventional grammar, style, rhyme, or rhythm um, that you might associate with famous poets like Shakespeare or with lyric poetry in forms of pop music like hip-hop or rock or country. In fact, sometimes experimental poetry might not look or sound like poetry at all. One thing that experimental poetry challenges us to think about is the relationship between personal expression and structures of power and representation that make certain forms of speaking possible for certain types of people and certain forms of expression rather impossible for others. The type of experimental poetry that I'm sharing with you today are called blackout poems. And in blackout poems, poets take a big block of text that they may be found in the newspaper, in magazines, uh, in laws or textbooks or court documents, really any, anywhere that you find text. And they black out all the words except the ones they would like to keep or the ones that they would like to highlight for some reason. Sometimes blackout poetry is done for pure fun, and sometimes it's done to show how dominant narratives about who we are, how we live, and what we value do not really fit with our different personal experiences and perspectives. By blacking out big blocks of texts, you can start to imagine how stories might need to be changed and how we can start to play around with language in order to reinvent the powerful stories and our own places in them. The type of blackout poetry that I'm really interested in challenges writers and readers not only to think about poetry as a way of telling our personal stories, but also about the ways that personal artistic expressions of our lived experiences are constrained by systems of power like white supremacy, patriarchy, settler colonialism, and capitalism. One of the really exciting things about experimental poetry is that it sometimes allows the tension between individual lived experiences and systems of power to be seen right on the page. In the course packs this month, uh, I've decided to share with you a poem by the uh, Cree poet Billy Ray Belcourt called Treaty 8. And Treaty 8 is a blackout poem, as you'll see in your package, um, that rethinks the text of Treaty 8, the official 
uh, crown document of Treaty 8 in order to think about what other social relationships and what other forms of life um, could not be captured in that document. And similarly, I thought I'd share an activity with you that takes the Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, from the Canadian Constitution and asks you to black out sections of that text in a way that might make it resonate more with you and your own experiences of the law, of freedom, uh, and of the concept of human rights. Since the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a law that is supposed to secure the rights and safety of every person living in Canada, I thought it would be good to a good document to experiment with. You can really play around and black out whatever you want to. However, you might think about how to make space for yourself in this document. How can you black out the language that feels violent to you or language that maybe feels like empty promises? Some questions to consider could be, this all sounds good, but do these promises match my experiences? And how can I shape the text to match my life? What words don't I understand? Does it make sense to have these words in a charter that is meant for me? What words or phrases are really important to me? What words sound or look really interesting? What story does this charter tell? And do I want to tell it differently? And what main concepts or ideas do I want to highlight? When you're ready, you can start blacking out the words and the texts you don't want to be readable when you're done. It can be a good idea to start with a pencil and mark the words you want to keep, just in case you change your mind. But really, it's your work. You're the poet, so do whatever the heck you want. Thank you so much, Christine, Rob, and everybody from RIP. Just a reminder that you can find the Blackout activity and the rest of our activities online. We hope that you might give them a try and consider sharing them with us so that we can post them online and possibly read them on air. Next week is, alas, our final class for this term, and it must be celebrated. We are thinking of a kind of party with dancing and loud music and some shaking and singing. So send us your favorite dance tunes and we will make a playlist to celebrate our making it happen in spite of COVID. But we're going to need those music picks by Monday. So you only have the weekend to get them together. You can send them to us at hum101 at uobera.ca or text them to 587-709-5472. After our final class, we will start from the beginning. For those of you who have just started with us, there are many great classes to catch up on. And for those of you who have been listening from the beginning, we are confident you will hear some new things as you tune in again. So starting on February 22nd, we'll begin with the first class. We are also planning, fingers crossed, to produce some new class material each month. So if you haven't had a chance to share activities and stories with us, please do so, and then we can include them in those upcoming classes. We also have a ton of material online if you have access to the internet, and we will be updating the website as we continue forward through the next term. So don't forget to tune in on Friday nights from six to seven, all the way up till the end of April. And watch our Facebook as we will post updates there as well. Thank you to everyone who made this week's class happen. Thank you always to AG47 for the theme music and Jason Boris for the sound engineering. And thank you for tuning in. 
Next week, get ready to make some noise and celebrate the end of an amazing semester. See you next week.